And in Matthew chapter 21, we find the account of Jesus really um, becoming public with this ministry. And in Matthew 21, we find what we commonly call the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, or it is also referred to this day as Palm Sunday. An interesting set of events that took place. Um, There aren't many events of Jesus' life that appear in all four of the Gospels. There are some, but Not all of Jesus' events are mentioned in all four of the Gospels, but this is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And a casual look at it, you would think, yeah, it's an interesting story and and, um, not sure really what the big deal is about it. But as you get in and look at it, you begin to see that there are are many messages that God is giving to the people then and to us today that we can learn from this. This is an incredible event that took place. There were probably hundreds of thousands gathered in Jerusalem at this time, and you can just imagine, as as we read through this, imagine the the vastness of the crowds that are gathered, and what is taking place here. Notice Matthew 21, beginning at verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt of the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so appreciative of the fact that uh, 
your events and your words are recorded eternally in your word and that we have access to this. But Lord, we acknowledge we need your spirit to um, quicken our hearts to understand these truths and to see the application of them in our lives. And so, Lord, we pause now to um, acknowledge our need of you, to acknowledge our dependence on you, and to plead your mercies for your glory to work in our midst this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we mentioned, the crowd of a vast throng was gathered, and these are the people that had um, seen Jesus do many, many miracles, and, and the word of that spread, and perhaps the greatest that they saw him do was the miracle of the raising of Lazarus. And having seen them, him, perform these miracles, their hearts were encouraged. They were under the bondage of of Roman ruling, and they were so eager to have deliverance that in their minds, surely this is the one that will deliver us from this overbearing and unruling rule of the Romans. And so with excitement, they believed he was going to be the answers to their prayers. And um, coming in to Jerusalem and giving the instructions, as we read, where he told them to go get the donkey that he would ride upon and and just even the, the miracle of the details of that uh, were incredible how all that worked out, that Jesus rode on this beast that had never been broken before. And, and um, the, the minor aspects of that are incredible. But he had so many other messages that he wanted to convey in this. God's plan for this event begins that this was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. And it is quoted here in Matthew 21. But in Zechariah 9, the prophet said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here specifically was spelled out how the king would come. This was contrary to how kings would normally come. They would come in elegance. They wouldn't come riding on a donkey. They would come riding on the greatest specimen of a beast that they could find. And, and this was given by Zechariah for the people to identify that that is our king. 
a fulfillment of the prophecy. Jesus rides into the capital city as a conquering king, and the people, they, the people recognized it as such. The streets of the city of Jerusalem were open to him, and, and like a king ascending into his palace, he entered into Jerusalem, but again, it was contrary to what normal earthly kings would do, but it was in direct fulfillment to the prophecy. It is amazing, the life of Jesus Christ, all the prophecies that were given, that he fulfilled them exactly from his birth to now his ministry, now his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And this week, you will see as you go through the events of this week, how many times it was according as it is written in fulfillment of prophecy. And this is no exception. And the disciples um, are no longer told by him to be quiet. They are encouraged to shout forth the praises and worship him openly. And here we find that God's plan is that he demonstrated to the world that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Hosanna. They said, Hosanna, a term of praise that carries with it a cry for salvation or help. So it is a combination. It is praise, Hosanna, but at the same time, it is a cry for salvation and for deliverance and for help. So as they say, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. It is a demonstration to the world that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And they make a path with their garments and branches. It was a customary way. We can go back in Second Kings chapter 9 and read it, but it's a customary way of honoring a person. It's similar to us. We use the term, they rolled out the red carpet for him. They wanted to honor him. They wanted to acknowledge him. And previous in Jesus' ministry, he would tell someone that he performed a miracle. He said, go and don't tell anyone about this. But now Jesus is openly allowing them to proclaim that he was their king and Messiah, and Jesus himself is embracing the fact and openly declaring to the people that, yes, indeed, he is the king, he is the Messiah. The palm branches that are laid in their time are symbolic of victory that it's it's laid down as a symbol you are the victorious one you are the champion you are the winner you are the king so we look at this and we think okay it's fulfillment of prophecy 
It's a demonstration to the world that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And yet, we have the advantage that we're able to look back and look at history and we think, okay, wait a minute, how can it go from this throng of people saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, to in just a few short days, the same crowd saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! God, in his infinite plan, knew that all of these events, as he set them in play, would set in motion the anger that would lead to Jesus Christ's crucifixion. The crowd had been with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, and continued to bear witness of that. The reason why the crowd followed him was because they'd heard of all that he had done. And in hearing of what they had done, the people were filled with praise and adoration But at the same time, there was this battle that was going on. In John 11, the people were told by their leaders and warned by the Pharisees that if they knew anything about this Jesus, they were to report to them so that they could capture him and take him as prisoner. They were certainly not to worship him or to pay homage to him, or to hail him in any honor. So, that has already taken place. They've seen Jesus do the miracles. They now see him riding on this donkey, and they totally disregarded the orders of their leaders. Their expectation for messianic deliverance was so great that it turned into this incredible mob scene. And it was just a total chaotic event from the viewpoint of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. From their perspective, everything was out of hand. It was a disaster. The people were going mad for this Jesus, throwing down their clothes, What did this mean? And they knew what it meant. They knew that they were granting submission to this Jesus Christ. It made the religious leaders mad. It made the Romans mad. And it created the perfect storm that led to the crucifixion. God orchestrated all of these events that led to the crucifixion, to them being filled with fear that our power is is going to be wrestled from our hands. We must do something with this one that these people are so blindly and ignorantly following after, and we must get rid of him. And it eventually led to the events that, that you'll read about this this week the events of the crucifixion. But in understanding 
Jesus knew that Lazarus' death would result in resurrection. Jesus knew this resurrection would result in the crowd's celebration. He knew that the crowd's celebration would result in the council, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin's um, determination to, to end his life. He knew that that would lead to an unjust condemnation. He knew that the condemnation would result in his own brutal death by crucifixion. And he knew that this death of his would result in righteousness for many. And so Jesus openly welcomes these events and he marches into Jerusalem and really in his spirit, it is a spirit of triumph as he comes in and he says, God's time is right. Now is the time for me to come and I know all these events will take place and it will look like they are in control and it will look like they are crucifying me. But remember, Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. And he began these events, and he knew where it was going, and he knew where it was ending. And really, Palm Sunday was a celebration of resurrection. They were celebrating the power of Jesus to resurrect Lazarus, and Jesus was celebrating the resurrection that he knew in one week he would be performing, that he would be experiencing. So... It set in motion the anger that led to his crucifixion. But there's another thing that took place here. Palm Sunday truly exposed the hearts of man. As we said, the throng of people envisioned he is going to set us free from this bondage that we are in. And yet, in just a few short days, they would be crying, crucify him, crucify him. They expected an earthly king to come. They had doubted him, but when he performed these miracles, then they believed. They expected him to set up his throne in Jerusalem. They saw him weep over Jerusalem and they said, yes, he will come and set up his throne in Jerusalem. And yet, when they saw their expectations diminished and turned away, immediately their hearts were turned away. They had personal expectations They had selfish motives. Many of them wanted to be on the ground level with the Messiah. The politics of it all took place. One thing with mankind, there's always politics that enter into place. And here, I I am one of the first to recognize him as Messiah. I can be in on the ground level with him. They had selfish motives. And it exposed their temporal values. Their values were only the values of this earth. Their values, they wanted an earthly kingdom, but Christ came to set them free from much greater bondage than the Roman bondage. He came to set 
them and we free from the bondage of sin. It's interesting, in Revelation chapter 7, there is a beautiful compliment to what we celebrate when we remember Christ's triumphal entry. In Revelation 7, we read, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no man could number from every nation, from every tribe and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Notice this. This is the eternal kingdom. And in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we find peoples from every people's group are standing before God and they are saying, salvation belongs to God. Remember, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is a cry of salvation. And they are standing there before him in eternity and with palm branches, the symbol of victory, for an eternal kingdom far greater than an earthly kingdom that that these people desired to be set up. And God exposed the hearts of mankind. Personal expectation fitting God into my perspective. They had selfish motives and temporal values that were, were manifested here. So God accomplished a number of things. Fulfillment of prophecy, demonstrated openly to the world that I am the Messiah, put in in motion all the events before this time. Don't tell anyone, no, this this is not going to happen yet. Now he put in motion all the events that led to the crucifixion and he exposed the hearts of men. So we ask ourselves, okay, what are the lessons for us from this? Number one, Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the Messiah. Hosanna to the Son of David. Salvation does come through Jesus Christ alone. Number two, God is still setting things in motion in world events. This was a world event that affected the world. And unbeknown to them, God was setting things in motion. God is still setting things in motion today in world events. I don't know all the details of what's going on in Syria and all the details of the Middle East, but I know this, God is setting things in motion. And God is still the God of history, and God is still in control, and it is not out of control God is in control, and in his timing, he sets things in motion for the coming of the king. And he is still doing that today. And we need not fear what is going on in this world. God is still in control. He is setting things in motion. He is at work, 
and we can trust him. We're also reminded God's kingdom is not merely an earthly kingdom. It is not merely in the earthly realm. Do you understand the earth, what we live in is such a small part of God's program and plan? His program is much, much bigger than this. And in understanding it is so easy for us to get caught up in, in the earthly realm. It is so easy for us to get caught up in this. I mentioned yesterday at, at Alice's Wilhite funeral that, you know, oftentimes I, I get somewhat envious. They're in the heavenly realm now. They are free from this. They are set free from this. We so easily get burdened down with this earthly realm. And we're just like those, oh, come, Jesus, set up your kingdom right here. And Jesus said, no, my kingdom is way bigger than this. Don't get weighed down with the things of this earth. We also learn from this that Christ did not come to fulfill our, our desires. His goal is not to come and fulfill my dreams and my desires. Christ is not my servant. We are His servants. And the people at that time, Oh, Christ, you're coming to set me free from this bondage and, and make life wonderful for me and, and make it what I've always wanted it to be. And then they were so sadly disappointed when, when this, their Redeemer, their Messiah, was nailed as a thief on the cross. Christ did not come to fulfill our desires. We're often guilty. It can't really be this, but the term a Christian humanism. A man-centered Christianity, which isn't a Christianity, but a, a man-centered involvement of God that, that God is here for me. God came to fulfill my life. God came to make me happy. God came for mankind. A man-centered theology doesn't work. Because God will not share his glory with any. There is only one God, and there is only one that is worthy of praise, and it is God. And God did not come for us. He is not here just for us. He came to restore us to fellowship with God. And that's a message that comes through this. He came to restore us to fellowship with God. And and this is very, very important. The demands of the holy God had to be met. And Christ alone could pay the penalty for our sin. We originally were made to fellowship with God. 
Sin separated us from God. Christ came not just to save us from hell and have God be our servant. Christ came to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be brought back to fellowship with God. Too many Christians want heaven, but they don't want fellowship with God. You read on in Matthew 21. Christ wept over Jerusalem. He cleansed the temple and ministered. All, all of them, we don't have time to go into them, all of them proof that he was wanting to restore fellowship with God. We sing, oh, how I love Jesus. But do we really want fellowship with God? I mean, all of this that we're remembering this week is to make it possible so that not just our sins can be forgiven, but that we can, can know the face of God and know the character of God and know the heart of God and fellowship with God. And the more we go into the depths of who God is, the greater our love for God will be. And it, it is all made for fellowship. So, when it's announced today there'll be a corporate prayer time, we ought to say, fellowship with God? And I know I can pray it any time I want, but fellowship with God for other, with other believers? Hey, I was made for that. I was made for that. We were made to fellowship with God. I was made to have a heart for the things of God. I was made to hunger and thirst after this. I was made to praise God. I was made to depend on God. I was made to walk with God. That's, that's what all of this is about. All the, the Palm Sunday, the crucifixion, the resurrection... What's it about? It's about fellowship with God. That we were made to be brought to enjoy the wonders of God. He's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages. Almighty God is He. So we've experienced that in our walk with Him. We know that in our relationship with Him. And as long as we live, we can be growing in that fellowship with God because the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God is unfathomable. We can never reach to the bottom of it. And he brought us to fellowship with God. So he came to restore us to fellowship. True Christians throughout all the ages have been willing to risk their life for fellowship with God. See, that's the bottom line. Why are why have all through the ages there's a trail of blood throughout the ages of individuals that gave their life and it came down to choose your life or fellowship with God and they said that's that's not a hard choice. I want fellowship with God. That's ultimately what it comes down to. That's the whole purpose of all of this.
that we're remembering this week. So I ask you, do you desire fellowship with God? Do you want the blessings from the hand of God, but you don't really desire the heart of God or the face of God? That's a man-centered theology, which always will fail, will always end in disappointment and despair. But when our desire is, God, first of all, I need your forgiveness for my sins so that I have access to you. And now, having trusted you for the forgiveness of my sin, I have access to you. Nothing is going to separate me from the love of you. I want fellowship with you. These people went from Hosanna to crucify him. Because it was they wanted him to do something for them. Is your heart's desire that I may know him and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death? Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would cause our hearts to be examined And Lord, I pray, first of all, if there is an individual here who has never called upon you for the forgiveness of sins that has no access to you, I pray today that they would call upon you and would be brought into your family and have direct access to you, the Father. And then, Lord, I pray that we as believers would not be guilty as these that we read about that had their expectations and their desires that they wanted you to fulfill. Lord, I pray that our desire would be as yours is for fellowship with you, that we'd understand why you did this. Not just to save us from hell and then let us go about doing whatever we want, but to show us the wonder of you, the the glory of you, the greatness of you. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts that we truly would desire you more than anything else. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Let's stand together with